In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Hello, everyone. This is John Lynn with Moving Forward, and today my guest is Jason Becker. Jason is the Chief Product Officer at Elloview, a company specializing in budget and financial analysis platforms for schools and school districts. In his current role, Jason does everything from sales engineering to customer integration to data architecture to product management. Currently, Jason is working on a premier platform called Balance, aimed at streamlining budgets, vendor transactions, and organizational data into a single user interface. Jason was educated at Brown University, where he also served as an adjunct lecturer and was also a fellow with the Harvard Strategic Data Project at the Annenberg Institute for School Reform. Jason was also a research specialist and consultant for the Rhode Island Department of Education. Welcome, Jason. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking the time to be on the show. I know that our listeners are going to be very, very interested to learn more about you as I am. So let's get started. And I've only touched a little bit on your background and experience. So I was wondering if you could fill in the professional and life resume and tell our listeners a little more about yourself. Sure. So I actually think the most interesting thing about me, which is that I did not take a traditional path towards this data, product, technology, education policy world at all. In fact, as an undergraduate student, I studied organic chemistry. Mm. So I have this sort of interesting shift that happens over the course of my time in college to my professional life that I think is probably what tells you the most about me. I'd love to hear how you made that transition from studying orgo in undergrad to working in data technology. And I think the main thing is that I got to college and I was like a typical high school student. I had some idea of what I wanted to do, but the reality is I knew very little about the world of possibilities that existed out there. So I came into college and I knew exactly what I wanted. I was going to study chemistry and I was going to study political science. And lucky enough, I had this roommate who was really interested in doing political science and possibly economics. So I was like, great, I'm going to start taking that chemistry stuff and take care of it. You go ahead and take that poli-sci stuff. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) And I saw what he was doing in the political science courses, and I thought, that looks terrible. That's not at all what I'm interested in. So I said, all right, let me just keep going down this chemistry path. I don't know what that thing is. And in the meantime, at Brown, there's no distribution requirement. So I was taking pretty much whatever I wanted to, finding my own way. And I started taking courses in the education department because I thought I might have an interest in teaching one day. By the time I graduated college, I came to the realization that my main problem all the way back in the beginning was I didn't know that there was this thing called public policy. Hmm. And that's a different field of study from political science. And so I basically spent all of college trying to find my way back to that original interest and passion and luckily figured it out by the end that, in fact, there was this entirely separate field and it was exactly what I was interested in and it wasn't what my roommate was interested in. Oh, that's fantastic. Actually, that leads perfectly into our next question, Jason. So tell us more about your passion and how did you discover this passion in your life? If I had to sum it up, at least professionally, like my interest is in bringing data into a conversation and making sure that we make informed, smart decisions. And really, I found my way here entirely by chance. So I was studying chemistry. I studied science. I had a very scientific mind. I thought in experimentation, had a lot of this training in how do we build experiments? How do we build knowledge from a physical science perspective? And as I start transitioning into the public policy space, one of the big questions is is how we use quantitative research and research in general to build knowledge in the social sciences. And it's a lot murkier than in the physical sciences. And I quickly found that my training in the physical sciences and experimentation and how we build knowledge over there made it easy for me to translate 
into certain areas of public policy that tend to be the places where the traditional public policy student or professor are the weakest. Experimental design, quantitative analysis, and how we use those things to make knowledge. So I got pushed toward this particular pathway in public policy because it came easy to me. I had the mathematical training, but more than that, I had the mind of an experimenter. And so that mm. was really the key thing. And so increasingly, I found myself in a position where the thing that was most difficult for folks who are studying or trying to build public policy was the piece that was easiest for me, which is how do I go out there and collect a large amount of information, whether that's from existing research or doing your own traditional research, and do it in a way that with fidelity so that you can actually make stronger conclusions or, or at least have some more information about what you're doing. And so I've just moved down that path as I've learned professionally what people need and what helps and what doesn't help. And so it, it was entirely by chance. I had primed my brain to think in a particular way through my other training and just happened to, as I switched back to my day-to-day -day passion in making government work well for people, found that that initial training actually gave me all the tools that are often lacking on the other side. Well, that's fantastic, Jason. I had just a couple of huge takeaways from that. Your background, you started in a very different place, and yet you were able to find a road to your initial passion and your underlying passion and find a way to marry the two and fill a need and a gap that was sorely lacking in public policy. So it sounds like you've been able to combine the best of all worlds in your career path through a very non-traditional route. So can you fill in a little bit more on your career path? So I am reaching the end of college this is longer ago than I want to admit, and trying to figure out what I want to do, right? Do I want to start really digging into this public policy stuff that I've always really cared about? Do I want to do science policy, maybe? Do I want to continue this interest that's been sparked in education, since that was really the department that I started in? And I decided to give it a shot to do this fifth-year master's program in urban education policy. And the nice advantage of that was that they would let me know as a Brown undergraduate if I got into the graduate program by December of my senior year. So it felt like, oh, this is a no-brainer. I can apply to this thing and I can find out even before I have to think about my other options if I get in. So I ended up doing that program and doing a fifth year master's. And during that time, I find myself haphazardly landing into an area of expertise. So about midway through my time, there was a project coming up with the Rhode Island Department of Education where they wanted to create a new formula for how we send out general aid to different districts. States have a big pot of money. They have to figure out how much to give to each district. And in Rhode Island, there was no mathematical formula on how this was done for 15 some odd years. So what they were doing was whatever you got last year, if we have 2% more money for education, everyone just gets 2% more. And it's, it was like that for a very long time. So how did I end up working on that project? Well, I had some math skills, I had some programming skills from physical science, and I was there. So there were three or four people in my program who were interested in that side of the work and doing mathematics and having the background for programming that could help them test out different scenarios and things like that. And one of the other people in the program was already doing an internship with an outside advocacy organization on this very issue. So it pretty much by a process of elimination that got put on this project on how do we come up with a general aid formula. And that's when I got hooked. So I spent three or four months building all sorts of simulators to show different scenarios and translating for various stakeholders, both at the state house and in the Department of Education, how the math of the formula translated into policy statements, because how you spend your money is a statement of priorities. And so I helped them translate their priorities into a formula. And that turned out to be a successful effort. So we got that formula passed. It's still in use today. And I ended up spending a couple years at the Rhode Island Department of Education. Long about way to say, two to three years into my career working at a state department as my first job, which is an interesting thing because state departments tend to be where people go to end their careers, mm -hmm. not to start them. All of my friends were doing all this interesting stuff and starting to change to their second or third job because they were meeting all these wonderful people throughout their work throughout the country and finding really exciting things to do. 
And I was not. I was happy with my job, but I wasn't meeting anyone who didn't work within the same building as me. So I decided to apply for the Harvard Strategic Data Project, which places quantitative analysts, so recent PhDs, sometimes former consultants, and the idea is to place these quantitative folks into districts and state departments. And so I was placed in Providence, which was nice because I already lived here, with the Annenberg Institute for School Reform, which is actually based out of Brown University, and split my time at the Providence Public School District. And so the work I did there was on helping to design an early warning system for Providence. So in education, early warning systems essentially are predictive models where we're trying to say, can we identify the students who are not likely to graduate, or in some cases not likely to go to college, depending on the district, early on? So can we find 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth graders who are at risk of not making it to where we want them to be? And by identifying them early, can we then apply additional resources to them, get them back on the right path. How did you end up in your current role? What was uh, the next part of your career transition? This is a great story, too. So unfortunately for the folks at Strategic Data Project, they ended up paying for me to find my new job. <laughs> so one of the great benefits of doing that work was the professional development. So we would meet quarterly with the other Strategic Data Fellows. And also we had a budget for PD. And so I went to South by Southwest Education that year with my budget. And I happened to have a friend who was presenting. And so I decided, you know, I should probably go see my friend's panel because I don't want him to have an empty room. So I got to the panel and the room wasn't empty, but I was glad to go see a friend. And then the question and answer session was starting. So I asked a question to spark the audience to talk for my friend to make sure he had a successful panel. My current boss and the founder and CEO of Alaview, Jess Gardner, was sitting behind me. And whatever I asked, she thought, that was a really good question. Can I have your card? And later looked me up and saw that I had done all this work on financial analysis when I was working at the Rhode Island Department of Education and had this education data background. And she was looking for people who wanted to do education data with finance for the Alaview team. And so that's how I ended up two weeks later signing on to work at all of you. Literally, you found your next career just by simply asking a question. That's a fantastic story. Jason, can you share a time where you failed? We're faced what seemed like a big, insurmountable challenge, but it ended up being a valuable learning experience or part of your road to success. I think back to my time when I started the Rhode Island Department of Education, we had just received the Race to the Top grant, which was this huge federal fund to do over three or four years, some pretty transformational work at state departments and districts uh, around education. And a big part of that was integrating a ton of new technology that we were buying for the state. So we were buying an interim assessment system that would allow schools to give tests throughout the school year uh, on computers that were developed by the state. So they were higher quality than typically this test that could be developed by districts simply because we poured more resources in them and get them used to using computer tests and getting results fast back in preparation for the new tests that were coming on. An instructional management system. So these are big software products that allow you to develop curriculum and lesson plans and share them and relate them back to data from things like interim assessments or even grade books and use that data to drive your instruction. We purchased three or four large systems like that and everything seemed to be falling totally apart. Mm. roughly three to four months into this project. We had purchased these products all separately, but the vision was that they all had to work together. And it was very hard to coordinate four or five different outside companies that were building these things with us, what we had to do internally in order to support that stuff, and then make it all talk and be seamless. And we had some outside help come in. The U.S. Department of Education supported bringing in some outside experts for free for the states to help them out. And we spent a couple days saying, what are we going to do? This is really hard. We've never tried something this complicated. And my role at that time was just giving people data. So I was a guy who could go into the database and tell you, yes, we have this data element. No, we don't have that data element. Here's how you get that piece of data. And what came out of that was that actually I became the technical project manager for most of those integrations. The reason was because in this in-between role, 
role of giving people data, it turns out that I was the person already who was coordinating between everyone. I was talking to the programmers and I could talk to them in a way that they understood what I meant and they were able to deliver features and, and functionality because I was able to describe it to them in a way that made sense to programmers who knew nothing about what it is we were actually trying to build altogether. But I was also able to talk to the education experts since I was an expert in education policy, working with other education policy folks, and I understood their vision. And so stumbling into a skill set I didn't know I had, we're facing this big project failure. I'm low man on the totem pole, just ferrying around and feeling like I was a big time middleman. And it turns out that the skill set that's needed to manage a lot of these projects is that middleman who can translate well between both sides of the house. So I think we ended up getting things back under control. And my job now as chief product officer is doing the same thing. I'm translating for our customers why we're delivering things the way that we're delivering, why we're showing them data in a certain way, but also take customer concerns back and talk to the technical team and, and help them to understand why the product has to work differently for our customers. Well, that's fantastic. A couple of big takeaways, just being able to translate between different groups. And I love that story about working with your developers and sharing with them and translating with them the vision at a more policy level and being able to combine those two things. And it sounds like it has served you very well in your current role. The next question I want to ask you about has to do with life influences. So this is a two-part question. So the first part is, is there any book, movie, media, song, or play that has been greatly influential in your life? If I had a secondary job role from my life, I, I would call myself like a media consumer. I read a ton. I'm really into movies and uh, play guitar and sing in bands and all that kind of stuff. And so this is hard for me. But I chose something that I think is meaningful or influential for a bizarre reason. It's an album called The Art of Disappointment by The Benjamins. And it's the only album they ever released. It came out in 2001. I chose it because it's one of the few albums that I have ever purchased and listened to that continues to surprise me and grow with me over time. When I got it, I was young. I was really into punk and pop punk kind of music. And that's what I thought this album was. And then as I got older and I started playing instruments myself and writing music, I started to really appreciate some of the intricacies of how the songs are composed. Then I started to appreciate the lyrics and the poetry inside of them that became not funny and bizarre as they were when I was younger, but instead became beautiful and brilliant as mm. a, over time. And so it's one of these albums where this one band, Flash in the Pan, came out with this album and then totally disappeared. And yet, it's one of the few things I can come back to. And I feel like if I listen to it every couple of years, I hear something completely different. And it matures in a way that is very bizarre along with me. So I think most people, if you listen to it, it has a very surface appeal, kind of catchy, just sounds good. And it's easy to forget. But it's one of those things that just continues to pay dividends the longer I listen to it. The second part to the question, is there any individual person that you've connected with in your life that has left that lasting impression towards you finding your career path or your life's passion? So this is also a hard one, but I can choose one person, maybe not for the influence that they had so much as the fact that I always will remember this one conversation because it so perfectly distills the way that I was approaching my education, my career and my life. And so I had never heard someone say it so well. And so it's always stuck with me. I had this chemistry professor, Brian Moulton, when I was at Brown, he was my advisor as well. And I'll never forget what he told me as he thought I was kind of barreling towards chemistry grad school anyway, which was something he told me actually my freshman year. He said, don't worry about your grades at all. I mean, do well. But let me tell you something about what I look for when I look for a um, graduate student. If I find someone who has straight A's, I pass right over them. 
because all that tells me is that they never did anything challenging and they never went outside of their comfort zone and they never tried something that they shouldn't have tried and learned something really brilliant from it. You want to get B's and C's because what that shows is that you're reaching out of your comfort zone and that you're expanding your horizons and you're challenging yourself. And I think as someone who has dramatically changed what they do in their career and had some really weird paths, I think it is really well summed up by that mentality, which is I'm always looking for the challenge. If I just did the thing that was easy, I wouldn't have found my way into all these interesting and wonderful things that have shaped my life really deeply. I am all about going after that C because that's when you've reached way out there and that's when you're going to learn the most. I love how you've just flipped the script on the whole idea that you have to shoot for the A. And I know it's something that so many of us get ingrained with when we're in school and even afterwards. But going for that hard B or C, I think that is an incredible takeaway. And it's such a valuable lesson that you got from that professor. So that is incredible advice. And I think it is something that a lot of people have to let go of and not be afraid to try something new, not be afraid to even fail if it means getting out of their comfort zone. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. This leads perfectly into our next question. There is someone listening to this podcast who may be struggling to find their career passion or their life's passion, and they don't know where to turn, or maybe they're afraid to take that class and get a B and are sticking with the safe road. So what advice do you have for someone who is on that road and struggling to find their way? First is to realize that everything is a lot less permanent than it feels at the moment. So something not working for you or something that seems challenging or something that seems impossible to find, time is just going to keep on ticking. The risk that comes along with reaching out to take that class or take that risk in a career path, spending a year, spending two years, spending five years doing something that you really love and you care about and finding out at the end that it wasn't the right move, it's no big deal. It goes away and you get another five years to do it. We get stuck thinking that there's one path and you have to make all the right steps along that path. But what happens is you stumble. You just keep stumbling until you fall into something that works. And uh, at least that's been my experience is if you're open to it and you allow yourself to watch for those opportunities, you will stumble your way. And the other thing is that I think that passions are built. They're not discovered. I built the career that I had by finding the areas that were both interesting to me and seemed to come a lot simpler to me than the folks around me. I started doing this quantitative policy and experimentation stuff because as I shifted into education, it was like all of this stuff that was struggling and that was difficult and I was really passionate about in chemistry were the things that turned out to be really easy for me to do in the social sciences, but everyone else was struggling with it. So I, I went where everyone was struggling, but it seemed natural to me. And then I get into this position in Rhode Island and everyone is struggling to communicate well from um, what's the vision of this all the way down to how can I just write the logic that translates this vision for how things works into a computer program? And that was easy for me. Like I heard the vision and immediately understood the logic. That has been my path. You, you build those skills and you find your way into it and it takes you bizarre places, but you'll, you'll sort of find that path where everyone seems to be struggling with something that doesn't even feel like work to you and you build your passion from that. Two big takeaways that you just try things, you stumble, and through that stumbling is where you can discover a path, and then you build your passion from there. I think those are two very, very critical takeaways, and I know that's something that a lot of listeners will take from today's episode. What is next for you? 
So I um, just moved into this role of chief product officer. Before that, I was the director of data, which we redefined what I'm doing to being more focused on making sure that we're building the right thing for folks to make it easier. And I am really loving how to place myself in the shoes and the advocate for how people need to see their data in order to make the right decisions. So I've increasingly been talking about data visualization and dashboard design from a technical level, how we can get it to where we need to present it, but also then from a design standpoint, how can we feel that compassion for folks who are in tough situations, who are just looking to have any kind of support to make the right call? And I really believe in this concept of rather than data driven decision making, data informed decision making. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big push for me is how can I continue to refine and share as much information I have about how do we do data informed decision making? How do we get information in front of people at the right moment in the right way that they can understand it and that it's well supported by research and analysis so that it's easier to make some really tough calls? Well, that's fantastic. And I can see throughout the culmination of all of your experiences just coming together, and you have such a conviction in your mission to provide data-informed decision-making. Jason, what is the best way that our listeners can make a connection with you? So I am very active on Twitter, although I don't generally recommend it. So if you're ready for a fire hose and hear a lot about local politics and Providence, you can check me out at, <laughs> at Jason P. Becker. But I think that that tends to be a bit heavy for folks. I've got a blog at blog.jsonbecker.com. JSON is a, a data structure type. So Jason, JSON, I like to play on words. So um, I checked that out. And, and of course, allaview.com, where you can email me and you can learn a little bit more about what we do. We'll have all of that information posted on our website. Jason, thank you for taking the time today to share your story with our listeners. Thank you. Stay tuned. Today, we have a very special bonus episode. Jess Gartner, the founder and CEO of AlloView, is next. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.